Hello, I'm John Dennis. It's Monday the 9th of November. 20 years ago today saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. Today, Germans remember the incredible events of 1989. There's much more soul-searching going on than ever before, 20 years after the fall of the war. We hear from Anna Funder, the author of Stasiland, the award-winning book about the war and the effect it had on Germans' lives. Extraordinary tales of bravery, refusing to dob in their fellows and being punished for it. And also today, relatives of missing women in Cleveland, where the bodies of 11 people have been found in the home of a suspected serial killer, accuse the authorities of a lack of concern. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk. First, Sue Mansfield's got the headlines and today's papers. Tropical storms have caused floods and landslides in El Salvador, Central America. One small town was almost swamped by mud and boulders sweeping down the sides of a volcano. Many bridges have collapsed and more than 120 people have been reported dead. Large parts of the country are without power or clean water. World leaders are arriving in Berlin to celebrate the fall of the wall between the two halves of divided Germany 20 years ago. The presidents of Russia and France will join Chancellor Merkel, along with Prime Minister Gordon Brown and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton of the USA. The festivities will centre on the Brandenburg Gate and include knocking down a thousand giant foam dominoes along the line of the old wall. The support group Childline says the number of children reporting abuse by women has more than doubled in five years. 2,000 children told Childline they'd been sexually abused by women over the past year. But the NSPCC says it believes there's still a stigma against reporting female sexual abuse, so there may be many more cases. The government's unveiling its plans to speed up the building of new nuclear power stations today. The Energy and Climate Change Secretary, Ed Miliband, will publish a list of suitable sites. He'll also issue changes to the planning laws to allow new schemes to be fast-tracked. Green campaigners have expressed dismay and warned of legal action against the changes. The Telegraph has that story this morning, speculating we could see the first new nuclear plants within 10 years. But not one paper has the same lead this morning. The Telegraph splashes that family doctors are to be told to stop prescribing antibiotics for coughs and colds by the European Centre for Disease Control. On the economy, the Financial Times says Gordon Brown had to retreat on the tax plan that he put to the G20 meeting on Saturday. The paper reports the USA led criticism of Brown's suggestion for a tax on financial transactions. Our paper leads with a story about pressure for a radical reform of the tax system. Labour Deputy Leader Harriet Harman commissioned the report on how to reduce wealth inequality. First draft suggests a tax on wealth or high pay. Only the Mirror chooses to put Britain's new world heavyweight boxing champ on its front page. David Hayes' mum told the paper he was only three years old when he first told her he would do it. Most sports pages are more excited by manager Sir Alex Ferguson's reaction to his team being beaten by Chelsea. Fergie blasts ref over Blue's goal, says the son. I've lost faith in refs is the Mirror's version and the Mail puts it like this. Fergie has the Blues. That story and more reaction and other news all day on guardian.co.uk. Twenty years ago today, the Berlin Wall came down, opening the border between East and West Germany and signalling an end to the Cold War. 
Let's find out from our Berlin correspondent, Kate Connolly, how Germans are marking the anniversary. Great pomp and circumstance. So um, basically they've pumped about 4.6 million euros into a big show, you could call it, that's taking place in Berlin. Um, the highlight of which we're going to have world leaders gathered around Brandon, the Brandenburg Gate. Um, and there'll be a thousand uh, polystyrene dominoes that have been painted um, by people from all around the world, including uh, people like Nelson Mandela. And they will be toppled at a certain point and will trace the path of the former wall. Sounds all rather kitschy, but they're really pumping a lot of um, money and effort into this because they know that the world's cameras are going to be focused on Berlin. We're expecting probably around a million or so people to gather in the city centre. And uh, already um, I was out in the streets of Berlin this morning. The place is absolutely heaving. And uh, there are lots of sausage stands out there and also um, stands selling hot wine or glue um, so very, very um, nice, um, sparkly, festive atmosphere. Is there an unalloyed sense of celebration today or are there mixed emotions? very much mixed emotions. I mean, we've got the focal point being at the Brandenburg Gate. That will be a very upbeat ceremony. Um, We will have um, some poignant moments. Um, They're also around the city. There are going to be um, uh, some demonstrations outside, for example, the former Stasi headquarters, the the East German secret police, um, where people will be demonstrating for better conditions for the victims of the Stasi, better compensation, and other um, candlelit processions. You also have to remember that the 9th of November it's a very potent date in the German calendar. It was also the um, night of um, Kristallnacht when um, Jewish shops and offices were plundered. So it has this um, very dark side to it as well. And of course, there will be ceremonies to mark the 136 um, Germans who were killed trying to cross the, um, the barrier from between East and West Germany. Um, and, and also a lot of looking back and, and thinking what has happened over the last 20 years, how successful has reunification which of course happened on the 3rd of um, October 1990. How successful has that been? And um, a lot of East Germans disgruntled that they've been left behind. So that's being marked quite a lot in in much of the um, coverage in the newspapers, the debates on television and roundtable discussions that are happening throughout the city. We're going to be hearing from Anna Funder shortly, um, author of Stasiland. One of the points she raises in the book is how difficult it is for a lot of citizens of the former German Democratic Republic to find out what happened to their loved ones and even what happened to them uh, under the GDR. And I mean, the the idea that um, the GDR era is kind of dead and buried isn't isn't perhaps as obvious as, as it might be. No, I mean, I think that um, there is a lot of um, effort being put into things like um, trying to piece together the Stasi files. You, you might remember in the days after the um, wall came down and uh, there were the Stasi officers went into their um, the archives and basically were, or to their headquarters and basically shredded the documents. Those documents are still being pieced together. There's, there's miles upon miles of these files in the Stasi archives now in Berlin, um, trying, and, and a lot of people trying to basically piece together the lives of this or the the anatomy if you like of this dictatorship Um, but a lot of this has got lost in the last 20 years with this sense that Germany wanted to move on and move away and just become reunited again now there's much more soul searching going on than ever before 20 years after the fall of the war. Kate Connolly in Berlin. The fall of the Berlin Wall is the subject of one of five films on the German Democratic Republic at guardian.co.uk slash Berlin Wall. Let's hear some memories of the 9th of November 1989. 
end of the Berlin Wall is the symbol of the end of a divided Europe and the end of the Cold War. Nobody could believe this was real. It was a miracle. They were at the door shouting, the wall is open. We walk through the wall. The day the wall came down will be the most joyful days of my life. I've never seen so many plainly happy people and their faces in my life again. So where people were just not even smiling, they were just this joy and disbelief. And you can watch those videos at guardian.co.uk slash Berlin Wall. Now, Stasiland, Anna Funder's acclaimed and prize-winning book, was published in 2004. It's an investigation of how Germans' lives were shaped by the Berlin Wall. She visits the torture chambers of the Stasi, the secret police of the German Democratic Republic, and she meets survivors and defenders of the system. She says it's important to remember that the wall was brought down by people power. This started in Leipzig in the spring of 1989 in these so-called Monday demonstrations. You have to remember that these demonstrations were going on in the evenings every Monday when people knew that there were Stasi there and they also knew that Stasi was armed and might well go against them. They knew that the hospitals had been given extra blood in case that there was bloodshed at these demonstrations. In the June there was Tiananmen Square The courage of the people to go out onto the street and to demand the kind of reforms that they wanted, democratic reforms and the ability to travel, really can't be underestimated. I mean, the fact that there was no bloodshed is an absolutely extraordinary thing. And I think that uh, without those demonstrations and the will of the people, this would never have happened. What kind of emotions do you think East Germans will be feeling today? It depends on where they stood before the wall fell, how they're feeling today, because it's not as if it was an undivided society. It was extremely divided. It was divided into us and them in this absolutely riven way. So hundreds of thousands of people who formed part of what you might say is the state apparatus, so the government, the party, the Stasi, the army, the judges, the lawyers, the journalists, many of the teachers, and nearly 100,000 informal informers. And they are often, in my experience, people who still believe in the socialist ideal. And for them, I think the feelings will be quite mixed. I've heard everything from they regret the fall of the wall, you know, it's a Western takeover, uh, that capitalism is unjust, that the real revolution is coming, and so on. And on the other side, the people who that state was organised against, the ordinary people, among those people are a lot of what the Germans call Mitläufer, people who just went along with things. But there are also tens of thousands of people who resisted and in whose life stories there are extraordinary tales of bravery, refusing to uh, dob in their fellows and being punished for it. And I think for them, whilst there's enormous joy uh, in the fact that that system no longer exists, it's tempered with a sense that restitution in as far as it could ever be made to them, hasn't been made. So, for instance, Miriam Weber in Stasiland, the book, I spoke with her recently and I asked her exactly the question you were asking me. And she said, you know, I feel fantastic that the wall is gone. I feel free. And then she proceeded to tell me a whole lot of very strange stories about what it's like for her working 
in the public radio station that she works in where her boss is ex-Stasi and he knows that she's a former political prisoner and the things that go on there. So, for instance, recently at the beginning of October, there was a big memorial demonstration uh, to commemorate the 8th of October Leipzig big demonstration, which was the one that was most at flashpoint in 1989. And she said, you know, all of those old cadres, the old, the ex-Stasi and the ex-informers who work now in this important media organisation, they all went along to the demo. But we, the former citizens' rights activists, we were all rostered on to work that day. <laughs> and then she said, but you know what? It was actually right that they go along to that demonstration because they were there 20 years ago as well, only they were there to report on us. There was a line uh, that you quoted from Miriam Weber in the book. She says, it's amazing what a revolution can do to people's memories. What do you think the 1989 revolution did to people's memories? I think that it's kind of easiest to look at by comparison with the dictatorship that went immediately before with the Nazi dictatorship. History is obviously many faceted and there are many ways of looking at it, but you can also, by the same token, really get the wrong end of the stick when you're looking at it. Nobody would say to members of the Jewish lobby or Jews or Israel, come on, guys, no German would say, come on, guys, get a grip, enough is enough, move on, let's all get along, get over it. But that's exactly what's being said to the victims of this regime. So I think restitution needs to be made financially and it, they need to be honoured before things can really move on. And Stasi Land, Stories from Behind the Berlin Wall by Anna Funder is published by Granta. And there's a longer version of that interview with Anna Funder at guardian.co.uk slash audio. And there's full coverage today at guardian.co.uk slash Berlin Wall. Also on The Guardian's website today, we meet a bloke who lived for a year without spending any money. Guardian.co.uk slash G2 to find out how he did it. Dave Simpson looks at over 65 musicians. Guardian.co.uk slash music. And we get a fox exterminator to review the fantastic Mr Fox. Guardian.co.uk slash film. I'm John Dennis. Still to come on Guardian Daily, how the eerie ruins of a Georgian mansion may be on the brink of a new life as a showcase for modern art. Guardian Daily. News and reports from around the world. But first, in Cleveland, Ohio, the remains of 11 women have been found in the house of a suspected serial killer. The former Marine, Anthony Sowell, is being held without bail on five aggravated murder charges. So far, only three victims have been identified. But families of missing women say the police and the criminal justice system failed to take seriously the growing number of missing black women. Michelle Mason was last seen a month ago outside her home a couple of blocks from where Sowell lived. The Guardian's Ed Pilkington met Michelle's sister, Mary Mason. Do you think in all this time and in all the searching that you've done that you've had enough support and help from the authorities, particularly the police? Not at all. I, I, I believe that because my sister did have a drug history that um, her, her case was not being taken very seriously. So what kind of reaction did you get? When we contacted the police, they would give us um, the basic uh, thing that she would that she had possibly relapsed and that there were, as they put it in their words, thousands of Michelles in the city. 
and that just give it time and this sort of attitude and behavior. You're sounding a little bit angry about this. Has this made you angry over these past months? Yes, I've been very angry. Your emotions range from zero to 100. There were some days, there are some days when you are very angry and there are some days when you're just sad because you think of your loved one being out here somewhere and you not being able to, that helpless feeling, you not being able to do anything about it. Um, We couldn't afford to hire a private detective. We don't have that kind of money. And and then at other times, we just felt like if they had just showed a little bit of concern, a little bit of interest, that some of these women's lives could have been saved. If they had, if we had, we had no idea that so many women in that neighborhood had been missing for such long something like 14 yes we had no idea we're we're here thinking we're the only family going through this you know we had no idea because the they don't the police department has to contact the media to have the media uh, report this. If the police department doesn't contact the newspaper or the TV stations, the TV stations and newspapers won't broadcast. Did you get any media interest in your no, sister's they, case? No, they, they would not report it because they needed the police to tell them to report it. Mm. If you're right and the police were fairly uncaring about your sister, mm-hmm. why do you think that was? Why, why do you think you failed to get a reaction from them? Because I, I believe this is how they treat all black women of a certain class or what they deem to be a certain um, economic standard. I believe they they look at us and and think we're just nobodies or we are expendable or throwaways in some way. And we come from families that love and care about us. We are doing, we pay our taxes. We do the best we can. We keep clean homes. We care. We love one another. But it's, it's like a general, they generalize everything as if they've already in their mind come up with the kind of person she must be and it's simply not true you mentioned race you think race was part of it race has everything to do with it because if she were a young young white girl the presses the tv station everything would have had that picture blasted and it would have been showing constantly it would have been ingrained in our brain we would have known We'd have been looking for <laughs> everybody, you know, but they didn't even give us that benefit of the doubt to say, hey, we're going to air this young woman's picture. Mm-hmm. We've had just too many reports coming out of that neighborhood about missing people. They never put the two pieces together. They never did that. Mary Mason talking to Ed Pilkington. Now, Martin Wainwright reports from Derbyshire, where a derelict stately home is being pinpointed as a possible location for contemporary artists to showcase their work. I'm at uh, Sutton Scarsdale Hall, an incredibly atmospheric ruin which overlooks the M1 motorway between Sheffield and Nottingham. It's just an empty shell now. It was sold in the 1920s to a group of businessmen who stripped it. The wooden panelling has gone uh, to the United States. Randolph Hearst bought some of it. Um, Some of the rest is in Philadelphia. And um, this is a house that meets the description eyeless, It looks out over the motorway, but all the windows are blank and empty um, and there are no roofs uh, on any of the rooms. It's a massive place. Uh, When it was built, it was equal in size to Chatsworth, uh, which is also near here. Uh, This area is known as the Dukeries uh, because there are so many stately homes interspersed with the colliery villages. It's like an empty box and that's the point because a group of public arts 
specialists, with the rather nice name of the Centre of Attention, want to turn Sutton Scarsdale into a kind of an open-air gallery where artwork could be shown. So instead of just being an empty ruin, a very beautiful ruin and a very atmospheric ruin, it would become something else again. I spoke to the Centre of Attention about what they have in mind. Our idea was rather than actually do a contemporary art exhibition in Derbyshire, since I think a lot of people are agreed that the infrastructure isn't there, was, well, should we start and get some infrastructure in Derbyshire for, for art? So. At the old ruined mansion, you, you have literally got a structure. I mean, it hasn't got a roof. How does that make it a good place for installations and exhibits and so forth? Well, we were thinking it was perfect because it, um, it had all this light coming in from above and it had lots of high walls and a kind of neutral floor. It'd be an ideal place to show art just as it was. But for this particular project, we wanted to do something else that um, kind of made uh, this, uh, this house kind of the centre of attention of, um, in the country for art, contemporary art and post-contemporary art. Sutton Scarsdale now is a sought-after little village, a hamlet really, in this part of Derbyshire. I'm just looking at a sign that explains how the village is set out. The fact that there are footpaths linking it to Hardwick Hall and Bolsover Castle and also to Old Hucknall Church which has got a very distinguished person buried there and that's Thomas Hobbes, the very pessimistic political philosopher who used to live at Hardwick Hall when he was tutor to the Cavendish family and used to um, stride around the countryside with a walking stick which had an inkwell in the top and a pen so that if a pensée, if a thought, a philosophical thought occurred to him while he was tramping around in this part of Derbyshire, he would stop and write it down. And across the road here, <laughs> it says Sutton Hall Gardens tourist site. Oh, and it's actually been turned into a caravan park. So this is the old walled garden of Sutton Scarsdale. And it's rather sweet now. It's, a, it's full of little caravan club buildings. Beryl and Stan welcome you. Please sign in. Times change. Martin Wainwright reporting. Ian Chambers and Tim Maybe with the producers of today's edition of Guardian Daily. I'm John Dennis. Thank you for listening.